Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. So after all that talk last episode uh, about pronunciations and the sort of bloom conversation and how do we say it, and we thought we had it right for months because we learned the proper Swedish way, but then we heard you know, that he, Elmer actually preferred it another way. And I tried to get it right on air and we landed in what we thought was a final spot. Yeah, I still wasn't right. Sorry, Brad. I'm still not sure we're right. This is a recording of a conversation from training camp between Ken Daniels and Elmer Soderblom. (laughs) I didn't say that wrong. Wherein he's asking Elmer what he likes and what he prefers. Listen. For me, how you would say it. How would you say it? Uh, uh, soda bloom or soda bomb? Okay, which one do you prefer? Pick it. Soda bomb. That's what it is. Soda bloom or soda bloom. So soda bloom wasn't necessarily wrong, but as you do, a good announcer like Ken is said, no, what do you want to hear on air? It's your name, you pick, and you tell me how to say it. And he said Soderblom. So from now on, it's Elmer Soderblom. And I'm so sorry to the listeners. <laughs> we tried so hard to get it right. So who's next? Oh, probably Dylan Larkin at this rate. We got to go back through everyone's names. Is Lopsinger right? Am I getting Evan Lopsinger right? I have no idea anymore. Yeah, I don't know what to think. Brad's dissociating as we speak. He's losing it. It's probably the right course of action. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think a new version of Brad wouldn't be bad. Let's just like roll the dice and see what we get. Can you re-roll some of your friend's personality? In some instances, yes. Keep us posted, Brad. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast, folks. Here to talk to you about all things Red Wings hockey, the world of the NHL, and failing miserably at pronouncing Swedish names. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco 2.0. <laughs> And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Wind Wheel Podcast, we will talk to you, and I'm not saying this ironically, about the exciting couple of exhibition games that the Red Wings have had to start off their preseason. Um, Storylines headed by the likes of Philip Zadina, Elmer Soderblom, Kubelik, some other uh, notable players. There's going to be a lot of conversation about, you know, Soderblom's opportunity to make the team might be surprisingly higher than some folks might have anticipated. Uh, what are Edvinson's chances of making this team? Still too early to, to tell, but that's where discussion's headed. And uh, some updates to the Red Wings roster and whatever else has been happening in the league. Uh, but before we do all that, we want to let you know, Saturday, October 29th, Detroit Red Wings versus Minnesota Wild is not only uh, going to be a great game, that is also Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA. So for those of you who don't know, the Winged Wheel Podcast, yours truly, uh, have partnered with the Detroit Red Wings. This is our third event with them where we host a live recording of the Winged Wheel podcast before the game. Uh, the last couple of times were in the uh, beer garden right outside the arena. This time is at Hockey Town Cafe, just a stone's throw away because you all have bought so many tickets. We needed a bigger venue uh, that could be heated. Uh, so thank you. It was a great problem to have. And thank you to Hockey Town Cafe for hosting us and the Red Wings there, of course. Uh, Ken Daniels and Mickey Redmond star on that pod. So us three meatheads are not going to be the stars of that show, thankfully for everyone. Uh, so you come through, you listen to the live episode, there will be food, there will be drinks, uh, you can um, 
get things signed. I know there's a long, long list of things uh, to be signed by Evan. We'll even provide you a Sharpie to get them signed. Uh, but more importantly, meet and greet with the hosts, the special guests. We'll have some other special guests coming through. There's going to be merch. There's going to be giveaways, uh, a lot of fun stuff. We all head over to the arena together. Uh, we sit in winged wheel podcast specific uh, seating sections. And then there's a uh, post game after party as well, where we keep uh, the night going. It's a lot of good fun. Uh, and tickets are discounted. They have a special winged wheel podcast discount. So the link to get your ticket is DetroitRedWings.com slash WWP. Again, that's DetroitRedWings.com slash WWP, or click the link in the description of this episode. They are going fast. Like I said, we've already had to find a bigger space, so get yours today. Um, It's a lot of good fun. Oh, and most importantly, a portion of the proceeds from every ticket sold goes directly to the Jamie Daniels Foundation. So big shout out to the Detroit Red Wings for being great partners in this event and uh, supporting a great cause. So not only do you get a discounted ticket, you're supporting an excellent cause as well. DetroitRedWings.com slash WWP. All right. The Detroit Red Wings faced off against the Pittsburgh Penguins on uh, Tuesday, September 27th to open their preseason. And that was a game where leading into it, we saw the rosters and we saw that Pittsburgh had the likes of Crosby, Malkin in there. Not necessarily their A team. No one has their full starting NHL lineup in their first preseason game. But if you have an A, a squad and a B squad, Pittsburgh's was the A squad. The Red Wings sent out a team that had Michael Rasmussen centering the first line, essentially. So the Red Wings very much had their B squad. It was a, a lineup of very motivated, as Max pointed out on Twitter. Like These are guys who are, who are playing for jobs, so they're going hard. Uh, but not necessarily a full NHL roster, to put it lightly. Yeah, the Red Wings walked away from that game with a 6-2 win. To the surprise of many people. I mean, even in preseason, it's never a bad time to smack the Penguins. It is. We all had to watch the Pittsburgh Penguins feed. And, you know, no discredit to those announcers, but watching them slowly sink into despair. At one point they said, it doesn't even matter that this is the preseason. Like, this is unacceptable. I'm like, oh, man, when you can get the Pittsburgh Penguins to be talking about unacceptable to be losing to the Red Wings (laughs) within the first 45 minutes of your preseason... There's a there's a certain satisfaction coming from that. Highlighting, I think, the performance of that game, not the only player who had a strong game, but highlighting that continued strong play from training camp into a first real uh, game scenario this season, Philip Zadina. He looked fantastic at every end of the ice. Yeah, so I know to not repeat ourselves too much, the only major difference between Zadina that game and Zadina last season, he hit the net. He had a really nice one-timer from just outside the slot where he got it high glove. I shouldn't simplify it that much. He, he definitely looks a step quicker. His pace is a step faster than it was last season. So he definitely looks like an improved version of himself. But if he has the confidence to be shooting like that, hitting those shots controlling pace, controlling play, you know, really thriving all 200 feet of the ice. It's going to create a fantastic problem because a lot of, I don't know, mock projections, rosters, whatever you want to call it for the Red Wings this season, I seen had Zadine on the fourth line. I know it's only been training camp and, and one. Mine did. Hmm? I think yeah. mine did at one point. Yeah. And I know it's only been training camp and, 
two preseason games, only one of which he's played. The way he's looked, how do you keep him out of the top six right now? I Someone has to go down undeservedly because, again, as we've talked about very positively over this summer, the Red Wings have an abundance of depth, and that does include six or more legitimate top six forwards, which they have not had since, uh, what, 2011, 2012? So it, it's a brave new world, and if, if guys like Zadina specifically can push that number to seven, eight, you know, I'm not saying the Red Wings are still likely to get a playoff spot. They're not. But those odds definitely go up. Zadina, Zadina pushing one of Bertuzzi, Perron, and much less likely Verona or Raymond out of the top six in terms of wingers, assuming Larkin and Kopp are, are locks as top two centers. That is one of the more unlikely, but one of the best problems the Red Wings could have coming into the season. It's been one, he's played one preseason game. He didn't play in the next one. So again, this is all early. You know, momentum doesn't necessarily carry over. You don't have to talk much further than to Lions fans to understand that preseason does not equal regular season performance. But this is all a body of work starting from the end of last season where Zadina thrived with Verona. A great training camp, a great intra-squad scrimmage in the red and white game, and he continued. He's playing with, like you mentioned, Brad, he is, he's got a pep in his step. He's got a world of confidence. And what else has he done other than prove to, to two coaching staffs now that when you put him in situations to, to succeed and you put him with players who can perform, he will produce or he will generate plays. You know, even before his, his puck went in the net, he was creating chances for him and Rasmussen all over the ice. Not surprising that he turned that into production. So, I mean, I, I don't want to sit here and predict lines too early because injury, injuries could dictate a lot and you never know where chemistry might be. Perron might have great chemistry with the third line and, you know, minutes could even it out. But yeah, Zadina cracking the top six would be a massive get for this Red Wings forward group. Well, if you look at it this way, you have Raymond, Perron, Zadina, Bertuzzi, Kubalik, and Vrana. Those are six wingers who either definitively are top six wingers or who have thus far in camp shown to be capable of being top six wingers. So, you know, we've always talked about roster construction. Do you just stack your top line and then the next three best go on the second line, then the next three best go on the third line? The Red Wings might have the option here to kind of space this out, whether that's a chemistry chemistry preference or... You know, maybe just you put a Perron or a Verana on the third line to give that line a little more pop, and then you're not as locked in uh, to the second line having to produce. You know, Zadina and and obviously Kubalik really present a lot of options with what they've shown so far. And again, it's stupid to say it's been one exhibition game. Everything we say is stupid to say. That's a whole our whole mo. But. Kubelik has a 30-goal season under his belt. Philip Zinin was the sixth overall pick. Like, there's reason to believe that these guys, what they're showing so far, isn't just a one-game fluke. There's a very real possibility that we see one of them on the first line and we see one of the second-line guys on the third line and it all gets jumbled up just for the sake of balancing out the scoring and creating matchup problems uh, for the defense of whatever team they're playing that night. Before Zadina's goal went in, uh, actually, a, it was a, the closest thing I've ever seen to a bullet from the 
blue line on the right side was um, Dominic Kublik's shot. He opened the scoring for the Red Wings campaign in the preseason, of course. It was his first goal in the winged wheel. Man, that shot was on a frozen rope. Like, that was a wire, a, a bullet to the back of the net to the point where the Pittsburgh announcer legitimately <laughs> said, what was that? Oh, my God, what was that? And then during the whole replay, it's like he was a a third-party viewer, like a neutral viewer going, holy smokes, that was a laser. And it was a laser. Kubelik's shot was is as advertised. Like, I know it's so early, and that's going to be the theme of this episode is it's so early, but it's so early, but it's not hard to see why Kubelik's shot is a weapon for that power play unit or that power, either power play unit for Detroit. A power play that had a very different look to it as well in terms of style and system. So if you have the guys like Larkin, Vrana, Kubelik, who can play on the right side and move around on the power play to create different looks, different angles, different options. Yeah, I know it's overly simplistic and it's early, but the Red Wings power play was tragic last year. If last handful of seasons, if the Red Wings power play is able to get up to even league average. How many points in the standings does that add? It's probably not an insignificant amount. It's not enough to push them into the playoffs, but if they're a bubble team, then it probably is. I know that's like a very much a... If my grandmother had wheels, she would have <laughs> yeah. been a bike thing, but it's... Those are the kinds of int- incremental gains you need to make. Like When you think, okay, how do you improve this team... Yes, of course, you add better players, but you have to think about where you need to fill out. The Red Wings needed support on defense. They've made some very obvious swings in that direction, and especially in terms of the type of defenseman that they brought in. But yeah, the power play. like We saw the power play was either good for only one unit, for so for 45 seconds or a minute or however long they left him out, or just bad altogether. There weren't, the power play wasn't good all of last year. So, you know, adding Perron and adding Kublik, that was important. Um, Kublik also added a shorthanded goal to make it 6-2 at the end of the game wherein he stole the puck from Casey DeSmith essentially. So um, good showing from him in his first game. Good game from Rasmussen as well. I I felt like, you know, it was against exhibition talent or exhibition level effort from the Still got to look good. And he did. If we're going to give credit to Zadina, you have to give it to Rasmussen as well. And him playing center, he I thought he he fared really well in that game. Did he was he the one who gave the little backhand pass to Zadina for the goal? That's yeah, that right. was not a lot of people really appreciate that, but coming off the half wall like that with just a little touchy backhand saucer pass like that is like true hockey fans and players are like, oh, that is so good. Like it, just a flat saucer right into the wheelhouse. That's a that's a stroke of genius. That just delicate little touch. Yeah. That's the stuff you dream of. Yeah. Which is something Rasmussen did not have in his tool bag last season i'm telling you if this is the summer of pierre it's the winter <laughs> of michael rasmussen <laughs> there's we can workshop this we can get a really good title going we have zadina's redemption season we have the winter of rasmussen there's a lot of good storylines this year i thought we'll i work Z- on it the zadina revenge tour is it revenge tour yeah i guess that's a that's, little bit more metal that's got a better ring to it yeah. we should do like metal band shirts that say that and put all the <laughs> oh my god yeah all the games the red wings play this year or something like that but like what do we do for like the winter of ras winter of like I don't T- know. time to freeze your ras off i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i don't know well, well 
you know, we won't let that one take the lead if that's all we got. That right better now. not take the lead, but we got to start somewhere. Um, let's talk about that Bergeron uh, Soderblom connection because Bergeron had a great play that Petrie didn't like to the point where he punched him in the head after, got himself a fine. Shouldn't skill it up like that. Yeah. Oh, oh man. Did you guys see the head on Zegris? Yes. Oof. That, I, that hurts. I didn't see a close-up, so I actually can't tell definitively whether it was clean, but assuming his elbow stayed down, like that was a hard hit. I am not surprised that, surprised that Zegris didn't get up from that. Like I felt that. That would have broken my entire chest. Like every rib, my shoulders, everything. That hit was textbook... Why the hell do they play this many preseason games? You know, there's a really good conversation there too, where someone's like, "Why are you lining up that hit in the preseason?" And then it's like, "It's a guy that wasn't a, an everyday NHL making the hit. He's fighting for a job. It's hockey. You're not. You want to get in your coach's good books, even if you are a guy who's expected to make the team. If you have that look, and you look it off, your coach ain't." going to be pleased and you don't want to get off on the wrong foot because that could be the difference between playing on the second line or the fourth line or getting healthy like yeah. hockey is going to be hockey preseason or not so if you want to not have that you should have less preseason i mean if the nfl can do it the nhl can do it i think we'd all like to start the season a little sooner i think the players would like to not have to deal with this and let's be honest as much fun as it is to watch any hockey we've had two preseason games and i think we're all ready for the regular season now yeah what do we have like seven total or something like it's, that? eight yeah eight total i could do with half that at least four yeah. would be enough like how many i mean other than the basement teams how many teams already have a projected lineup depth chart like they know it's just evaluating a few fringe guys or guys who come out of nowhere, which rarely ever happens because everything's overscouted. Yeah, I, I I don't I don't know either, but it it could have been Sonny Milano, it could have been Trevor Zegras, it could have been me for for all for what anyone cares. Like that whoever that body was was getting run over in that moment regardless of who they were. Well, it was uh, had just as much likelihood as uh, being you as it would have been Sonny Milano. He's yeah, he's in, in Calgary. Yeah, on a PTO. Um, but yeah, back to Berggren. Sorry for railroading us there. Berggren picked up the puck, very smartly held onto it, circled the net. Petrie was doing God knows what on defense. And he found it was a nice look to Soderblom through the traffic in front. Soderblom, that's going to take me a while. Soderblom was there, made no mistake to bank it in and immediately you're like, oh, that's a good Swedish connection. And if you're assuming both of those guys are going to be in Grand Rapids or maybe both of them break this roster, who knows? Um, that was cool to see. And, and you th- you have to think that that chemistry is going to continue to be productive for Detroit in the future. That's a hard pass to make. And that's a hard one-timer to connect on. The strong side 1T, especially when you're Soderblom size, and he got all of that. Oh, yeah. That thing went right to the top of the net with power but yeah that's what we need to see from both of those guys if they want to be everyday nhlers i think we know stylistically who each of these players are what they're going to be and if they're going to make the nhl roughly how they're going to do it Soderblom's not going to be the play driver he's not going to be the guy carrying the puck end end he's not going to be the guy running off the half wall he's got enough skill to do it in a pinch when stuff breaks down and, and he has it on his stick but he knows he's got to be the finisher, whether that's the one-timer from 
either side, the rebound, the controlling the cycle, and Berggren's got to be the guy running around the offensive zone with the puck on his stick, creating the plays, looking for the options, and you know, running plays exactly like that goal. So, you know, we can talk all we want about it would be nice for Berggren to get to the middle more. And yes, he will need to do it a little more than he does. It would be nice to see Soderblom transition the puck a little better and a little quicker. Yes, that would be nice. But those aren't the things that are getting these guys to the NHL. Uh, Zadina picked up an assist on the comp for goal. Uh, I actually think Kubelik tipped that puck, but it's preseason, so they don't look that closely. So I, I think Kubelik probably should have had a Hattie that game, but Zadina picked up an assist on that, and Spezia uh, scored on a goal from Warad and Olimata, actually. And that was Detroit's 6-2 win. Uh, halfway through the game, Bratstrom saved something like 18 of 19. I thought Bratstrom looked great, made a lot of big saves. Kosa started off um, to close the second period. He, there was a goal where Brian Russ was coming down on him. And, you know, that's an experienced NHL scorer coming in short side. And Kosa, his positioning was, like, off. He made himself too small and, like, half committed to a poke check. Didn't actually poke check, but dropped his shoulders and left the short side open. And Russ made no mistake and capitalized on the positioning error. And you're like, yeah you can see why this is a guy who still has work to do. Like he could have done like, it, it, that's just a very simple positioning decision. And there's no chance that Russ was putting that in. Uh, but he looked great in the third period. He was tested quite a bit. I felt and uh, was rock solid. So great, great, great game from Bratstrom. And uh, you know, other than that one play, I thought Kosa was really good as well. And that was a uh, Detroit six to win. Uh, next game, first night at the LCA. And it was good to have Ken and Mick back on the call the entire Bally Sports Detroit crew. So felt familiar. Felt like Red Wings hockey was really back. And it was uh, the 4-2 loss eventually against the Chicago Blackhawks. And it started off like a lot of Red Wings games did over the last few seasons with uh, immediately a goal against. It was like 10, 11 seconds in. 10 seconds in. Red Wings hockey is back, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I uh, I went downstairs to grab a drink at uh, an intermission. Mel was like, how's the game going? I'm like, they're already losing. She's like, oh, okay, so... Same old? Yeah, well, for now. Um, but in all honesty, uh, the, the big storyline that game, literally the big storyline was Elmer Soderblom, Soderblom uh, for the Red Wings, and in net for Chicago, Arvid Soderblom, his older brother of two years, but five inches shorter or something like that. <laughs> so, um, Which still puts him at six foot three. Yes, which is approximately how tall I am. Don't try to verify that. Just take my word for it. And uh, funny enough, Elmer put a shot on Arvid, which uh, the rebound popped up to Adam Ernie to uh, open scoring for the Red Wings to tie the game. So that was pretty cool. A little Soderblom v. Soderblom action, and Elmer got an assist early on. Yeah, I think we can comfortably say each of them was their team's best player that game. Yeah. Which, you know, for Chicago is great because, you know, God knows who their goaltending is going to what their goaltending is going to be for the next, oh, decade or so. And then Elmer, who I thought played well against Pittsburgh, was definitively the Wings' best player against Chicago. Take that with a grain of salt because he was really, really good. But from the Red Wings themselves, it was a largely uneventful, we'll call it boring game. Nobody really did a whole lot of anything. Even Larkin, Sider, and Raymond had their moments, but there weren't many of them. You could tell it was their first game of preseason, and that's fine. Um 
But yeah, Elmer was making things happen consistently, obviously setting up off the rebound the first goal. He was, I know I mentioned this earlier, but he actually looked good in transition. There were a lot of times his reach got him to a puck just before the defender and he was able to immediately turn it into like a quasi-deke to get around said defender and start the rush. He was involved in a number of two-on-ones. He was he he had a lot of chances in the offensive zone. He probably should have had one or two more goals that his brother just thwarted him on. And he was running the cycle very well. Like all the things you wanted to see from Elmer, we saw that game and we saw him do it exceptionally well. It wasn't a perfect game. You could tell he's he's a rookie. You can tell there's still areas of his game that definitely needs some cleaning up. Like he lost some puck battles, not because he was too weak or too slow, just because his stick was an improper position or his body was an improper position. And, you know, the veteran, I think the one that got him was Riley Stillman, who's been around the NHL. They just know yeah. how to do that stuff. And that's fine. That comes with time. That's He's only ever going to learn to do that stuff by losing those battles repeatedly for the next few months. And, you know, whether that's in Grand Rapids or the NHL, it's going to happen all the same, and it's the only way he's going to learn. But overall, man, I I put Elmer's chances of making this team not impossible, but very, very low uh, before camp opened. I still don't think they're great just because of the logjam in front of them. <laughs> they're higher, a lot higher than they were two weeks ago, I will say that. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. It's it's less about him now, and it's more about the log jam in front of him. One or two, this is a bad way to phrase it, but from Soderblom's perspective, one or two of the right injuries to like the right part of the depth chart, that equals him getting a look. Now, I, I still think Berggren might be getting overlooked in this conversation. Um, all eyes are on Soderblom. Actually, for this game, management requested that Derek Lalone put him in the top six, which I mean, the top six was with, was it Suter and Ernie? Yeah, I, he was with elite sniper, Adam Ernie. Hey, elite sniper, Adam Ernie, who buried, uh, buried a couple goals. Hey, so. that line had both the goals. And I think Pew Suter also looked good. Pew, yeah. Pew Suter, who is, you know, being kind of pushed down the death chart nat- naturally, but also people are probably giving him a little, maybe a little bit less credit than he deserves. He was asked to do a lot last season, probably a bit unfairly. So he had a good game as well. Um, that line was like the highlight of the Red Wings, but still top six looks and more of what you said, Brad, he won, he won races to the puck because of his reach. He, he flashed his skill. Um, and it's just the combination of traits that should belong to different player archetypes. You know what I mean? Like genuinely, generally when you have a giant, the reach and the strength are what helps him win the puck battles or generate space or create a play. When you have a small skilled player, it's the stick handling, the speed, the nimbleness. I think Soderblom's skating has improved. I don't think it's phenomenal, but I think it's noticeably better than it was in the past. So, you know, you're hoping that it's not a liability and it certainly didn't look like it out there. And there's points, like you said, where his reach won him the puck and there's points where the puck wasn't in the right position and it's like, oh, one, two, three, four, five, quick with the stick. And all of a sudden he's created space just by moving the puck around. It's like one of those tiny cone drills. And you're like, that's impressive, and NHL players should be able to do that, but not NHL players of his size. So, again, you know, press the button. It's early, but he's showed well through two games, and I have to agree. I think his chances, I think we have to be having the conversation of can Soderblom force the issue and make his way out to this team. He's going to have to. Oh, yeah. 
I think he's putting together a very strong case for it. I don't, you know what? I think we've said this about anyone who's got any top six potential. If he's playing in on the fourth line or getting very few minutes elsewhere, just put him in Grand Rapids. Let him get 18 minutes a game because it will be so much better for his development than him just riding the pine and playing 11, eight minutes a game in Detroit. That That's what this ultimately might come down to is not what's best for the team, but what's best for Elmer. Because we already talked about what, you know, barring injury, the top six wingers on this team are going to look like. Would I put Elmer ahead of any of them right now, despite how good he's looked? No, absolutely not. Okay, so that means he's kind of defaulted to the fourth line. Is it worth him playing eight to ten minutes a night, or he could go and play first line in Grand Rapids, and he could be the injury insurance? I think for Elmer's development, Grand Rapids would be the better call. If you're just looking at the Red Wings thinking, okay, we just need to make the best roster we can to get to the playoffs this year. Yeah, then you probably want Elmer on the fourth line over, you know, Adam Ernie or whoever else is competing for those spots. Um, But I don't think that's what this decision is going to come down to. Honestly, I, I think it's going to be, you know, send him down, let him work out those tiny kinks in his game. And he could be injury insurance. He could be Tyler Bertuzzi trade insurance. He could be you know, a lot of things to this organization, even though he's in Grand Rapids. And it will definitely free up Lalonde to do some things if he doesn't like what the team's doing on the ice. You know, you have this, I'm not going to call it threat, but for lack of a better word, threat of having Berggren and Soderblom in Grand Rapids performing well. You know, the guys on the roster are going to know that. They're going to know if they have a bad two weeks, their lineup their spot in the lineup isn't guaranteed because now there's options. It's not like they're worried about Turner Elson coming up and taking their job. And, you know, I I think this presents a lot of exciting opportunities. And if Soderblom over the next couple of weeks is too damn good for Grand Rapids and he has to play in the NHL on the fourth line, great. Like, there's no bad option here. It's just going to be what's best for him. More to come on Soderblom's chances of making the Red Wings, as well as Simon Edvinson, how he's played, and his chances of making the Red Wings. But first, I want to tell everyone that this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is proudly brought to you by NordVPN. Are you missing out on a game or your favorite show because it's not available in your region, as Red Wings fans might know from recent events? Let me introduce NordVPN. Using NordVPN in a click of a button, you can watch and browse as if you're elsewhere in the world, making sure you never miss a game and can watch whatever content you'd like. No need to travel across the continent or oceans for your favorite team when NordVPN brings them right to you. With over 5,000 server options, no game or show is out of your reach. Using the link nordvpn.com slash wingedwheel, you can receive a huge discount on NordVPN's cybersecurity two-year plan plus four free months. We all love to binge, but privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. They've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. Don't forget, there's literally no risk to you with their 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try, and if you like it, great. 
If you don't, they'll issue a refund and you can pretend the entire thing never happened. Check out our special link and discount at nordvpn.com slash wingedwheel to get your subscription started today. All right, before we continue on Soderblom, let's actually give some attention here to Simon Edvinson, who is probably the most interesting case in terms of, you know, just the storyline coming into the Red Wings this season. This is their, this year's more Cider and, you know, how's their high-end uh, first-round draft pick going to do in his first NHL experience? But also, his play has been uh, nuanced and complicated and, you know, not all good and not all bad. And I really think there's a discussion to be had here about whether... Let's first talk about how Simon Edvinson has performed. So this is definitely the biggest, it's only one game, but he was terrible. I I have no way to sugarcoat it. Last night against Chicago, he was plainly bad. He didn't have any moments where we've seen the flashes of how he can control play, how he can walk defenders, how he can transition the puck by himself. He was a half step behind. Um, I think it was either Max or Prashanth in our group chat had a really good line where it feels like every decision he makes is a half a second too slow. The talk we've had about, you know, sometimes he just plays way too casually, almost bit him in the ass royally right in front of the Red Wings net twice. Um, And, you know, because one of the plays that really stuck out to me was he just got a D-to-D pass and I don't know what happened. The puck might have just hit a rut in the ice or something because it kind of like bounced over his stick and ended up like three feet behind him rather than him catching that pass cleanly, which whatever, that happens how many times a game? No big deal when it happens. You just stop, cut, pick it up quickly and, and continue as you were. It seemed like he was really taking his time to get to that puck that was right there and a Blackhawk beat him to it. And now, thankfully, that Blackhawk didn't handle it cleanly, and it just kind of ended up rolling uh, to the side of the net for the Red Wings, but then the Hawks had possession off of that play. Of what is a routine play that happens a half dozen times in any given hockey game that is easily cleaned up and nothing bad comes of it turned into a problem because of what Edmondson's biggest issue has been. His pace was slow, and he was way too casual at times. These are not new problems for him. And this was our first look at them at, you know, quote unquote, an NHL level. And it was bad. Now, do I expect this to happen every game with Simon Evans? And no, of course not. He's going to get better. He's going to be better. He's not going to have the same number of turnovers. He's not going to be that casual that often. He is going to have moments where he will walk a defender, where he will make something happen out of nothing because that's a huge strength of his. Those moments are going to come and those mistakes are going to reduce. But this isn't new, which is the only reason I bring it up as concerning. Because, you know, if Moritz Sider goes out there and mishandles a puck and it's a turnover and it ends up in the Red Wings net. In preseason, do I worry about that? No, because we didn't see Mo do that at all last year. We didn't see Mo do that leading into his not much. Draft. Not much. It's not it wasn't a theme to his game. Given that these two issues have been themes since we started scouting Edvinson a year before the Red Wings drafted him, both of them to rear their ugly heads often in the one preseason game he's played that's what makes it notable to me and again 
I'm not sounding the alarm. I'm not saying what a horrible pick. This guy's a bust. Press the button. But he needs to fix that. He can't be an everyday NHLer with what we saw last night. He just can't. Okay, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit here. I don't think... If you're talking about a guy who you're expecting to be on an NHL roster in a couple weeks, yeah, that wasn't a good game. I won't disagree with what you said. And I thought those were the the mistakes he was making, especially in terms of the pace. That's exactly right. It's not even... No, he wasn't making the right decision every time, but you know, very few rookie defensemen do. Often you can see, and I think it was Prashant who said it, he is about to make the right decision, but the pace, the NHL speed, the NHL space collapsing in on him he just wasn't executing quick enough for a guy who i was coming into this preseason going probably grand rapids is the right start for him all that game did was reaffirm to me two things about simon edvinson one you can see the tools and you could even see like if you if you look behind the very obvious glaring points of that game which were the turnovers or the mistakes or whatever you can see, see things that he's actually improved on or that he's working on his game from the time the red wings drafted him or what you know served him well in the SHL last year, and that's good. Um, This is a guy who, in my mind, it's early, but is best served uh, in the AHL with Grand Rapids. It's those things you described, but Brad, are just the normal things for a rookie defenseman to have to develop, especially a high-end one, where it doesn't really make sense to me to stick him in the NHL where he's not going to get the space or the time to try to refine those. And eventually it is just like, you know, into the fire, you have to do it. But he has to get acclimated. He has to get used to the NHL or pro North American space. It's a smaller rink in in timing and speed. And there's no harm in starting him in the AHL in Grand Rapids where he can work to to refine his game. Don't, don't throw him to the wolves in the NHL right away. I fully agree with what you say there, but I think there's two points of nuance that need to be added because I only had two points. 100% of my points need yep, more. <laughs> yep. And I'm going to add nuance to them. So the, the decision making one, it's a yes, but because every NHL defenseman or junior defenseman story that comes into the NHL has to adapt to the pace, the decision making, et cetera, et cetera. Sure, yeah. The degree at which it's a transition for him is going to be a lot higher than most. Because, again, it's been issues for him at other levels. Now he's at a higher level, and he's a higher pick, and he's expected to play a bigger role. And the degree of which he is behind in that are are very— That's where you and I differ, because I don't necessarily think that he's behind more so that that's just what he happens to have to work on. Yeah, it is. It's true because like, again, it's an unfair comparison, but if you look at his first camp after being drafted versus Cider's first camp after being... You're older. You're older, but... Oh, you're talking about first camp. First, yeah, like going back to like where they were each at the development in their stages at 18, at 19. Obviously, Edmondson's not 20 yet. Cider didn't have this far to go. And they were both sixth overall picks. So it's at least a fair comparison. Now in a redraft, do does Edmondson go a little lower, higher? Who knows? Does Ed, Cider go higher? Obviously. But Cider's issues weren't pace. They weren't decision-making. And the few instances he had weren't as, this sounds overdramatic, but egregious as Edmondson's were. So 
Yes, you are absolutely right. Everything you said is right, but again, to a degree of where he should be relative to other players in similar position to him, it's a, it's a little worse. But that also, he has tools in his belt that Sider didn't have. Sider couldn't walk a defender like Edvinson can. Not so, at the time. Not at the time. Sider didn't have the dexterity in a lot of plays that Edvinson has. So, like, it, it's all a balance, right? Um, but it it very much needs to be said that the gap of where he needs to be versus where he is on his shortcomings is larger than you would hope at this stage. Not to say they won't get close, not to say he won't catch up. I'm, I'm still supremely confident he will. I just think it's going to take longer than people are expecting it to. Where do you fall on this, Evan? I Where I do fall, what I can say with certainty is he needs time in Grand Rapids. Um, he absolutely needs to get used to North American pace and the size of the of the rink. At the NHL level, there is nowhere to hide. At least at the AHL, you can outplay other players simply based on the fact that you have way more talent than them. And he needs it. It's so glaringly obvious that if they left him, left him in Detroit right now, it would be an absolute disaster. Yeah, it's it's funny because this couldn't the timing for Simon Edmondson couldn't be any worse because the Red Wings have one little bit of success and they get a player who wins the Calder, <laughs> who happens to be a defenseman, who's just came into the league his first year and lit the world on fire. Like everyone is going to try and draw similarities. And say, oh, like he's got to be a more insider. Like he's he's huge. He can skate. He's got confidence. And we saw more insider did. He he won the Calder. So it it couldn't be any worse timing for Simon Evanson. And I do feel bad for him there. Um, but I think he you got. I think he's got to sort of realize is that the best thing for Simon Evanson right now is to not be in the NHL and play in the NHL and and. Gr- work on those those issues that he has um it's just been it's just a very poor timing and people try and draw parallels between the two and definitely not fair for for simon edvinson but naturally that's where the conversation always seems to go and um i think he needs a, a lot more refinement in uh in the ahl first i think one area where i differ is this might be a little hypocritical because I said you don't necessarily need Soderblom in the NHL because a, a guy can be can develop a lot in the AHL and uh, that still can be good for his game long term. And like you said, Brad, the Red Wings aren't necessarily trying; they're not trying not trying to make the playoffs, but they don't necessarily have an on paper playoff roster this year. So it's okay if Soderblom is better than Ernie, but Ernie is up and Soderblom is down in the A this season, for example. I could see a scenario though where for the first 15, 20 games of the year, Edvinson is down in the A, and he gets like the low-hanging fruit, the biggest chunks of rust off of him as, as he gets adapted, um, gets up to speed, and then they let him come and work through those warts and those growing pains in the NHL, you know, uh, on the third pairing or whatever it might be. And they know and they'll tell him, hey, for 40 games, you're going to make a lot of mistakes and goals will happen because of you and you're going to get burned. 
but we think that you're at the point where the trial by fire is good for you because you're resilient and you can do it. I'm not necessarily advocating for that, but I think that's where I differ, where I think that would be within range for him. I still think probably you leave him in the AHL until he really kind of gets his game closer to what is apparent, like apparent as NHL ready. I think we're all three of us are different flavors of more or less the same tier. I think I'm. You, you seem to think he's going to get it together. I think we agree on every point. I just think you have the feeling that there's a good chance by like the midway point of his season in Grand Rapids, he'll have a lot of the things cleaned up and, because on talent alone, he's the best defenseman in Detroit, not named Mo Sider. Like, I think everybody with a brain can see that. Like, it's Sider, Edmondson, and then everybody else based on talent. But his, like, I mean, we're talking about what he did at the NHL level last night when he was basically playing the Rockford Icehawks. Like, Chicago did not have many NHL players dressed at all. No, they were the inverse Pittsburgh lineup. Yeah, and he still struggled mightily. I'm, what I'm saying is, I don't think he's fixing those problems quickly. If he does by midseason, he should absolutely be up. The second he's ready in Grand Rapids, I don't care what's going on in Detroit. He needs to be up. Whenever that happens, if it's 10 games, if it's 100 games, I don't care. He needs to be up the second that starts to happen. But the flaws that he has to work through are fundamental flaws to his game that he's been dealing with for years. So I just... I just don't think it's going to be quick. You think it's going to take a year plus of AHL before? I'm not going to say plus, but I'm going to say it'll probably be a year. Yeah. And I don't even necessarily, like, if we had to put money on the table right now, I'm not putting much, if anything, on midseason. Well, you just uh, paid for a wedding, so you're not putting anything on the table. That's true. Actually, can I borrow some money? (laughs) No. (laughs) Yeah, well. You think banks have bad interest rates? Oh, boy. <laughs> I think you are a bank. I think that must be where your wealth comes from. I wish. I uh, uh, I was trying to get Evan to change when he plays pickup hockey, and I offered him 100 bucks to switch it to a more convenient day for the podcast. And he scoffed and said no with so much potency and almost no effort. And I looked at Brad and I said, I hate negotiating with rich people. They're so annoying. <laughs> like 100 bucks could not have changed. Hundred bucks could not have made him blink if I asked him to. No. Anyhow, I don't necessarily think Edmonton is likely to figure it out by mid-year. I just, when you say concern, Brad, I think this is more typical for rookie defensemen, and Cider has spoiled us, and so I think he will figure it out, and I can see a world where he surprises people. I I would. The where I would put money down is don't expect the cider path from Edvinson. Don't, so, ex- don't. So what we've sort of dwindled this down to is there's no linear path to player development. We we think Hot he's takes somewhere here on the wing wheel podcast. <laughs> we, we don't quite think he's a bust, but we don't quite think he's a Calder winner. Everything in between is on the table. <laughs> yeah, we've narrowed it down by that that point one percent on either end of the spectrum. So. And there's there's nothing wrong with no. him going to Grand Rapids and it being him. Bergeron, Soderblom, hell, maybe even Joe Valeno, maybe. Donovan Zabrango, maybe Kosa. Like, Albert Johansson. Yeah. There's no problem doing that. And that team will be a wagon. And that there's nothing wrong with that. You play with your fellow countrymen, you get acclimated to the North American game, you have people you know. You're not a stranger in this foreign country that you just moved to, living in God knows where. Um, 
that is a great scenario to walk into as well. So it's not all doom and gloom if if he if he doesn't play in Detroit this year. Like there's a lot of positives. Yeah. For all of those guys, well maybe other than Joe Valeno, uh, tons of positives for all those guys to go to Grand Rapids and develop there and and build chemistry there and and, and win. Completely agree. And you know what Grand Rapids fans it's only, it. it's only good. Griffin's fans deserve it. They definitely had like banners and stuff printed of Cider and Raymond last year and uh, didn't get to use them really. They got one season of Cider, which was good, but um, a little bit more about Soderblom's chances. And we touched on this. We talked a lot about, you know, what he'd have to do to make the team. And I alluded to something, which is that there might be players better than him or worse than him, sorry, on the Red Wings roster or maybe less impactful. Like depending on what you think of Sunquist. And depending on what you think of Adam Ernie, for example, like those are guys where if the Red Wings lost them for any period of time or if they healthy scratch them, it's not making a difference in the game. Those guys aren't really needle movers. I say that coming off the heels of an Adam Ernie two-goal night, but of course it's a preseason. They're not bad, but you know those aren't the ones causing a difficult conversation like Kubelik and Zadina might be doing to break into the top six. Um, so if Soderblom's job is to simply beat them, he could do it, but then it, it gets back into what Evan was just saying. If you have a really strong Grand Rapids team, that's a great place for a player who is well on his way to success, but the path isn't over yet to play. Goes they, down there, point per game player, if not better, develops a huge amount of confidence. I see nothing wrong with that at all. And Brad, something you talked about that I really like that you brought up was his puck battles. You know, learning how to use your strength a little bit better with that size, it's important. I think you have to do that. We practically wore out our old mics talking about Michael Rasmussen having to be stronger. Like, if you're big, use it. This isn't a uh, this isn't a league where you you can't be rewarded for being big anymore. No, you can just go and dummy other players just by being massive and strong. And also his stick work that comes with experience. That comes with knowing how to play the NHL game, and that comes from you know having being able to do that against hardened veterans who maybe aren't uh, as skilled as you, maybe can't skate as fast as you, maybe aren't as strong as you, but a smart stick makes a difference. Red Wings fans know that. Datsuk and Zetterberg made careers out of it and many other things, but they were masters at it. So yeah, that's another part of Soderblom's game that he can go and work on and develop that will really elevate him and make him a force to be reckoned with in tight, which is just such a funny thing to talk about for someone that big. So I think funny enough, Soderblom's chances are higher than uh, Edvinson's, which folks probably weren't anticipating. I certainly wasn't coming into this season. Um, I'm still kind of at the point where I'm like, yeah, Grand Rapids for both of them, and maybe even Bergeron too. Well, Bergeron, every obstacle we talked about with Soderblom just replaced his name with Bergeron. Same conversation applies. Mm -hmm. Do we want Bergeron playing on a fourth line in the NHL or 22 minutes a night in Grand Rapids? It's probably 22 minutes a night in Grand Rapids. They're both going to be injury and trade insurance. And like you said, this is all assuming full health. So the moment an injury happens, which it will, you know, Bertuzzi and Valeno just started skating again today for the first time in like a half a week or something. So you don't know what they're dealing with. Sunquist is still out. They can pop up. The Red Wings might be flush with wingers. Like if Perron plays well, if Verona has the kind of season we think Verona can have, if Bertuzzi picks up or, or keeps up his insane pace and, and Raymond doesn't have a sophomore slump, the Red Wings will be flush with wingers to the point where they can comfortably deal one 
to serve another roster need. And then, yeah, you bring up Bergeron, you bring up Soderblom. And, you know, it's nice knowing if your team is on a roll and you have a key injury in your top six or your middle six, you don't call up a guy. And no offense to these players, but like, it's not going to be like an end of season call up from last season, for example, where it's like Chris Guolo coming up or something like that. You can call up a guy who you're like, I could stick him on the power play and this guy might actually produce and keep the ball rolling for the Red Wings. That is new territory for this version of the Detroit Red Wings. Good problems to have. That That's the theme of this episode. Not it's too early, but it's good problems to have. And hey, credit to Derek Lalone. First, uh, first win with the Red Wings. Not official, not regular season, but in his first outing, got that win over Pittsburgh. So cool to see. Okay, some other notes. Uh, Dmitry Bichelnikov scored his first KHL goal. And then a dude who's about Elmer Soderblom's size came and congratulated him. And for a brief moment, we all wondered if Dmitry Bichelnikov was actually four foot two. <laughs> I was like, oh man, he looks a lot like Brad. Did you see the picture of Daniela? And uh, uh, was it, yeah, Soderblom? Yeah, she came up to the logo on his chest. <laughs> like, not exaggerating. I was very mad that I had already used my uh, pictured Evan and Brad standing next to each other joke on a previous picture of a tall and short player because I really wanted to use it there. Yeah. My own worst enemy as usual. Um, The Red Wings over the past, this was pre-preseason, but they um, reassigned Lombardi, Zito, Plandowski, and Bednar to their respective junior teams uh, or their respective teams and then released... Angtil, uh, Limpar, Lance, Martin, Matthew, and uh, Oak or OK uh, from their amateur tryouts. And then just today, Ivan, Ivan, Riley, Piercy, and Uberti were also released from their amateur tryouts. So rest in peace to the Ivan, Ivan name uh, meme that was riding in Red Wings fandom. There's always development camp next year. Ivan, Ivan, Ivan. Is it confirmed that his middle name is actually Ivan? I've heard conflicting stories. It is not Ivan. No, it is not Yvonne. I wish you hadn't told. I wish you would have lied to me. Yeah, no, it, it, the whatever tournament he was playing in where he first started getting notoriety for that, um, one of the TSN commentators went to get clarification because they were in the same boat. They heard it was Yvonne, 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 and then they got, they got confirmation it was, in fact, not Yvonne. That's devastating news. Yeah. Okay. Uh, before next episode of the Winged Wheel podcast, we will also have uh, one game to talk about. It was going to be uh, tomorrow, Friday, um, September 30th, at home at Little Caesars Arena against the Washington Capitals at 7.30 p.m. So that's one more uh, preseason game and one more look to talk about. And also next episode, we're going to start getting into our divisional and conference previews. So lots of content still to come. If there isn't any NHL news, I know people were up in arms today about uh, Toronto trying Mitch Marner out on defense, and I I don't know why Fedorov's name is coming up. Everyone's too angry about nothing here. Toronto should be trying stuff like that, especially like on the power player late game. Yeah, why not? Um, if there's no other NHL news, let's jump into overtime. Overtime is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Folks, Patreon is how this show goes. It's how we've been able to upgrade the studio. So if you like the way the studio looks, thank your local Winged Wheel Podcast patron, patreon.com slash podcast. if you want to join the Dub Dub Club. You get access to the Discord, which is a good and wild time. All of our bonus content, after every episode, we record a Patreon-exclusive overtime, which you can listen to. So uh, in addition to being able to 
ask questions and get them answered on air during the main episode. If they don't make the main episode, they definitely get answered during our Patreon exclusive overtime, which are uh, good fun. Like I mentioned before, we let Evan swear. Everyone loosens up a little bit. We tell some stories. Uh, it's a little bit of a, a ruckus, but it's a good time. And uh, we've also been doing ticket giveaways. So three of the four preseason games at home at Little Caesars Arena, those tickets have gone directly to Patreon supporters. And the fourth one is a uh, Twitter-wide giveaway. So if you follow us on Twitter and retweet the post, go at Winged Wheel Pod, uh, you can enter. Patrons are automatically entered, and they can double dip. They can get a second entry. So there's a lot of benefits. Those are just the initial benefits of being a patron. Um, so please consider supporting the show if you're able. And if not, that's okay. We're going to start with uh, some questions, and we'll start uh, from one here. Uh, Beer League Defenseman says, gear question for Brad. I'm looking to buy a new pair of pants and was hoping you could break down what to look for in regards to size slash fit. Also, what's the difference in the model of pants, i.e. Bauer, Vapor, uh, versus Supreme, CCM, Jet Speed, uh, versus Tax, etc.? Well, I can actually answer both your questions in one there. So the fit between models is what makes them different. So Supreme and Tax are going to be your more traditional, looser, fitted pant. So a little more room, a little bulkier. And then Jet Speed and Vapor is going to be a little more tapered. So if you like the the tighter fit, uh, those will be the two models you go for. Now, when you're going up and down models, so just to use Supreme as an example, from an ultrasonic to a 3S Pro to a 3S, what generally changes on those is levels of protection. Because, uh, I mean, it's a pant. There's only so much you can do with it. The strapping system and the lace gets a little different in some of the models, but not in any significant way. So if you want a lot of protection, go up in models. If you want it to be a little lighter and you're less concerned about protection, go down in models. Um, I, I personally wear a, a low-end pant just because I like it to be as light as possible. I put two paper bags over my legs. <laughs> yep. It works. Yeah, he just stuffs some hockey socks in there and he's good to go. This guy is the epitome of that uh, Ben Affleck meme where he's outside and just like ratty clothes smoking a cigarette. That is absolutely Evan at all times. It helps that he kind of looks like him. Yeah, that's that's true. But uh, yeah, so that's, yeah, pants are easy. That's pretty much all I can add. Okay. Um, question here from Ryan Gannon who says, oh, this was a funny line. Larkin referred to Edvinson and Soderblom as the Swedish basketball team yesterday. And it got me thinking what current or former Red Wing would most likely excel in each of the f- other four major North American sports, soccer, football, baseball, and basketball. Okay. Soccer, Datsuk. Thousand percent. That was where my mind went immediately. Does it have to be at all of them? No, no, no. Like one player for each sport. So... Football. Who would be good at football? Sherrod. I don't know. Who is freakishly strong? That's that's what I'm trying to think. Who's Franzen? The mule? Who's really fast and really tall? Could be a wide receiver. I don't think there's anyone with the kind of speed. Maybe you stick Soderblom as a tight end. I think he would die, would he not? Aren't tight ends just fridges on feet yeah but you don't really get well that's what Soderblom is yeah but not an nfl fridge no but those don't really exist in the nhl what about baseball it's got to be an american larkin <laughs> that's yeah that's what i went to immediately i like baseball because every body type can succeed in baseball that's right that's why i golf 
Jimmy Howard, low key, I think could be Jimmy Howard at every phase in his career could crush a baseball. Every single one of them. Uh, basketball. I mean, that's where you know Mantha or Soderblom. Yeah, Soderblom. There's no other answer there. Uh, Patrick J. Patrick, thank you for asking this question because I don't think this player gets enough recognition. So Patrick's comment is: Thanks, guys, for all the great offseason content. You held it together to start another glorious year. Not often we get described as holding it together individually as people, so I'm glad we can do it as a podcast. Bold of you to assume. <laughs> I'm sure we'll know more by the time the podcast comes, but Biaka Batuka has really impressed me this year. As one of the few right-handed uh, D the organization has, do you see him in Detroit, Grand Rapids, or Toledo, assuming he gets a contract? Furthermore, do you believe he may potentially evolve into an NHL D-man? Some important context, I believe he's been offered a contract by the Chicago Wolves of the AHL, so he has a pro offer on the table. Um, and I also want to qualify this by saying we have not given Biaka Patuka enough attention because he has, I think, done reasonably well, all things considered. This is one of those instances he has performed well above expectation. But you got to keep in mind the expectation was so low, well above could still be just a middling AHL defenseman. But, oh, yeah. I don't think like this is yeah. a guy who should break the Red Wings roster. I, I think if he does ever make the NHL, it's like the Nick Jensen path. It'll be long and hard, but it worked out for Jensen. That's Biakabatuka's best case scenario. In my Stop opinion. looking at me, Ryan. <laughs> Are we not doing phrasing anymore? <laughs> we've we've never. But um, yeah, so the way the Red Wings organization is absolutely loaded with defensemen right now. I struggle to think he's going to get a better role in Detroit than he would get with the Chicago Wolves because he, he'd strike me as like he would have to start in Toledo right now. And why would you do that if you have a standing offer from another AHL team? Yeah, I, I hope he gets a contract with the Griffins. I, I don't necessarily know the dynamics of who he pushes out or, or where he factors in, but I've liked what I've seen. And obviously the connection, um, you know, Detroit sports fans don't need to be told about that name. I think I think he said specifically they're a football family first, and he switched to hockey at age 10. Um, there you go. There's our football answer. That's right. Look at that. Simple as. Um, also, before I go to the next question, you brought up Jimmy Howard. We didn't mention. He's on the Bally Sports Detroit crew now. Hell Could they yeah. not have got a headshot for Jimmy Howard on the, the – did you see the – no. The infographic. It what was is everybody's it? headshot, and there's Jimmy Howard in net with all his gear on. <laughs> Um, Jerry or Gary uh, Roder, please correct my pronunciation there if it's wrong. Says new to the group and looking forward to participating uh, on Patreon. Thank you so much for your support. It really means a lot. All the new patrons, um, thank you so much for joining the show. Gingerbeard Man says, if you can grab one player from the '90s Wings teams to play with the current roster, who would you choose? Steve Eiserman. <laughs> Steve Eiserman. I'm going to go off the board here. I'm going to say Steve Eiserman. <laughs> uh, Sergey Fedorov. Nick Lidstrom. It doesn't, doesn't hurt that all three of them play at the two positions of weakness on this team right now. It legit. Actually, maybe Nick Lidstrom makes a bigger difference. I still think it's got to be Steve. It's Steve. JD says, hey guys, uh, new guy has been using the word simple to define his new systems. New guy being Derek Lalone. Uh, I haven't been able to watch any of the games yet. So what's the difference between the simple system and Blash's 16 minutes of hell system? Thanks, guys. It was hard to decipher the first two games, if I'm being honest. It looked simple, but so did Chicago's and so did Pittsburgh. So I'm not going to read a lot into it yet. 
I should say, in terms of systems, it looked as preseason games do, especially under a new coach and with new players, which is messy. They're not putting these players in preseason games in tight, specific structures and in game plans. They're trying to evaluate if these guys can play at the NHL level. Maybe they'll do that in the later games when the team's more determined, but they basically just say, just play this, do your thing, impress the team. I wouldn't be surprised if they do ask them to play those systems, but they certainly don't do it with the expectation that it's going to be executed to a T. Well, they would give them something simple. Yeah, it's still early, but, you know, Derek Lalonde preaches team defense. He preaches uh, simplicity, especially in the own zone responsibility. And that means like, you know, every forward contributes at both ends, that kind of thing. Um, It's also important to remember that for all of his faults, Jeff Blashill didn't not want those things. He just lost the ability to get the team to execute on those things. So like Brad said, and Evan, actually, you're going to have to wait to see what the actual system that's deployed is. Michael Rasmussen's offensive upside, and that name ages very well recently, it seems, says lots of talk about where Fabry would fit in where when he returns. Is it possible he's traded? Maybe plays a month to show his value, then moves. Feels like he's a third liner on this team at best now, and with that contract, he's an expensive one. With, uh, I'll say Soderblom and... Bergeron are going to be the biggest factors in that because if this team is healthy by the time Fabry comes back and playing reasonably well and if Bergeron and Soderblom look like they're ready to come up there might be multiple trades there because you know you got to get the value while you can and yeah if if it's healthy and everybody's playing like they should Fabry walks in on the fourth line that's less than ideal and if they want to make room for Soderblom and, and Bergen eventually, something has to give. It's not bad to have good players in your fourth line, right? Like I think the Red Wings have been Red Wings fans have been conditioned to say, yeah, we need an Adam Ernie type on the fourth line. We need a Darren Helm type on the fourth line. Maybe when you're a fully fleshed out team competing for playoff round wins and not just to make the playoffs, then you can talk about where adding some grit in favor of skill is more advantageous to say but it's not certainly not bad to load up on talent on all four lines in the meantime for a team that's been devoid of depth and scoring down the lineup yeah if Fabry comes in the fourth line or the third line and you're able to give those lines some more minutes because they can be trusted in the offensive zone and they're not just wasted minutes on the, on the ice it's not bad the problem lies uh in that you need to give them a good center to work with Detroit's getting there you know, Larkin and Copper are good Valeno. for the top six. Valeno's there and Suter. So, you know, you have four viable centers and in a pinch, Michael Rasmussen can maybe go and do something. Um, it's just more of a good problem to have. It's so early to say with Fabry. You don't know what shape this Red Wings team is going to have by the time that comes around. Uh, Weeb... <laughs> Weeb Wheel Podcast. <laughs> It says, hola, uh, if Bertuzzi uh, plays comparably to how he did last season when healthy and assuming the COVID restrictions betwixt Canada and the U.S. do get lifted, what would be the minimum starting point for a trade return for him? He'd probably probably likely have the highest value of all of our probably not long-term playing wingers. Also, my wife thinks Evan looks like a douche. No disrespect. Wow. Thanks. <laughs> I, I swear I didn't read that in advance. Your wife is a douche. <laughs> 
<laughs> you do look like a hockey player. I had a conversation. Well, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I had a conversation with someone a little while back. I forgot to bring this up in the pod. And we were talking about like interviewing NHLers and they're like, okay, so, you know, NHL players have talked to all you guys and maybe someone listens. They're like, which one of the hosts do you think they like the best? I'm like, absolutely no hesitation, Evan. Absolutely, Evan. Got to know how to relate to your audience. By being Oprah rich, ridiculously good looking and disassociating half the time. Yeah, like the NHL players who listen to the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) That is the most accurate this show has ever been and will ever be. That's it. That's our peak right there. Um, it's any- not. No, Evan, you need to understand. It's not that people are love you because they're relating to you. Nobody relates to you. They're hoping to become you. Yeah. Be careful what you wish for. <laughs> <laughs> the amount of noises this man makes going up the stairs. Yeah, that's just my joints. Yeah. Uh, Bertuzzi minimum trade return. We're at the point now where if we're not talking valuable first round pick or, you know, premium prospect that can play a position in need and then plus, I'm not really interested in trading Bertuzzi unless we're in a scenario where a contract isn't viable. If a contract's not viable, my ask would be a first, a left shot defenseman who can play now and a prospect, preferably a center. I'm wondering as the season goes on and you know players fall into the places and rosters shake out what center prospects there will be on teams where they might not be able to crack their NHL roster but they'd be a lot a hell of a lot closer on the Red Wings. Alex Turcotte. My god, I was just thinking that. And Uh-oh. you know like oh that's bad news. When you start to agree with Brad, you're not going to sleep well, man. Let me tell you from experience. And like LA makes sense for Bertuzzi. It's I wouldn't hate it like it's a risk, though, with Turcotte. Like, Bertuzzi is a known commodity with risk in it. Oh, Turcotte would not be the centerpiece of that trade. What else would you add? A first. You think LA is doing that? Depends where they are in March. If LA, uh, Steve Dangle actually said he thinks LA is going to be an underrated team. And if that's a team competing for, you know, seriously in the playoffs, or they think they will be, I could see them cutting for him. And their prospect system is loaded. They could absolutely fill the wish list of the team for whatever player they're looking to acquire. Well, we have our target for this uh, this year's bullshit of uh, trade offers that other teams' fans are going to hate. Yeah, all I ask, Stevie, is if you are going to extend Bertuzzi and Larkin, can you please do it in the next couple weeks? Thanks. Oh, you don't want to stretch it out? Just stretch out the stress and the, uh, the drama out of it all? No. <laughs> Coward. Okay, one more here from Cranjus McBasketball. It says, given... Um, next year it's very possible Elmer, Casper, Valeno, and Simon will have no uh, doubt earned full-time NHL spots. If you're Eisenman and feel this is the case, would it make sense to potentially trade Perron this deadline if the price is a first or more? I think that will largely depend on where the Red Wings are at the beginning of March. I think of Perron, he's by all rights set up here to be a leader on and off the ice for the Red Wings. And if he's there and very obviously a core part of their play or power play performance, and he's a core part of their depth scoring, or even like he's one of the lead, the, the team's leading scorers and you notice him making a difference that I'm not really in favor of seeking to move him. But if someone's offering a first round pick for a guy you picked up in free agency, 
that's when you have to pick up the phone, whether you were looking to or not. So if it's pick 32, I mean, like Brett said, let's see where we're at when they're there. But for a guy his age, it, it almost doesn't matter how well they're playing. Um, that's a first round pick for someone you got for free and isn't going to be on the team for, you know, ever. Right. So it's trading back to St. Louis. Yeah. Might as well. Um, okay. Why don't we wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast? We'll get into recording our Patreon exclusive. We'd like to thank everyone so much for tuning in folks. If you haven't already, um, get your tickets to Winged Wheel podcast night at the LCA. That's DetroitRedWings.com slash WWP. We want to thank the sponsors of this episode of the Windwheel Podcast, Nord VPN. Uh, if you're looking for a VPN, I use it. I got uh, I got the plan. Great value. It works awesome. Uh, highly recommend. All of our listeners, those who have left us ratings on either Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify, it does make a big difference. So if you want to support the show, support the show in a different way, that's a great way to do it, and we really, really appreciate it. Uh, our name level spon- all of our patrons and our name level sponsors on Patreon. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefur, the Stay Fresh Cheese Bag, Nick Perks, Terry, driver of the number 69, Crying Ryan, Hannah's Banana Simon Jamathong, Matthew M. Rice, Ben Hurd, Brendan M., Carl Brutena Nanaluski, Chimmy, Chris Ball, Chris P., Citizen High Five, Connor Scovey, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, Craig Kibble, Derek N. Stam, DJ Denton, Give Blood Fight Probert, Hassam al Kassem, I tried so hard and got so far, but in the end, it doesn't even, as there's a drive at the deep left field by Castellanos and that. Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Kaitlin Wood, Kevin James, King Tone, Kyle Hashman, Marcus, Matt McKay, Nadelkovich, goalie number one, Nicholas Fritz, R.A., Ryan Hanna, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, the podcasting couch, Zachary Rogers, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, Adam, I wish I could finish like Ernie, um... Antonio Gracias, Babe Landeskog is the Stanley Cup champion. Ben Barron, Brian Vasha, Connor Leighton, Darren Fick, Dave W. Evans, amazing hairdo, uh, Philip Zadiz Nuts, Griffey Boy, in a vacuum, it's fine, and I'm Evan. James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rapsy, John Evans, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hull, Logan Burgos, Matt S., Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Papa Woody, Puck Norris, Ryan Hanna's good doppelganger. <laughs> Ryan, it's a me, Tony, your barber with uh, easiest job in all of Canada. I become a name level so you can you can buy us some hair. <laughs> uh. I deserve you people, but I need you to know that I loathe you all. Uh, the unimaginably dark void that is Bertuzzi's missing tooth. Thick Rick. Thank you all so much, and we'll talk to you on Sunday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at wingedwheelpod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.